This CBF podcast conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theology education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next steps in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are excited to launch this new podcast listener support project. We hope you'll visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for finding out ways of how you can support the podcast, but get stuff in return, like books from our guests here on the podcast, like sending in questions for upcoming guests, like joining me on an actual interview with one of our guests. And of course, the VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly by joining me with whoever we bring in for the podcast stage. And now, on to our conversation. This week's CBF Podcast Conversation is brought to you by CBF Advocacy. CBF Advocacy is excited to announce two Advocacy in Action opportunities in 2020. Advocacy in Action will be returning to Washington, D.C. on March 9th through the 12th, 2020, after a wonderful event in New York City. CBF's Advocacy's annual event will include popular staples such as participation meetings with congressional offices and opportunities to hear about advocacy efforts with CBF partners in Washington. In 2020, Advocacy in Action will include more experiential opportunities, including a special tour at the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Registration for this event will be capped at 60 and opens September the 30th, 2019. Visit cbf.net backslash advocacy in action for more information about housing options, registration, and event details. For the first time ever, CBF's Advocacy is happy to announce a regional Advocacy in Action event in conjunction with CBF Heartland. Advocacy in Action Heartland will be February the 8th through the 10th, 2020 in Jefferson City, Missouri, co-hosted by CBF Heartland, First Baptist Jefferson City, CBF, and Word and Way. With a focus on equipping individuals to advocate for their state and local governments and finding alternatives to payday loans, Advocacy in Action Heartland promises to be an event you won't want to miss. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Laura Jones. Laura is the author of The Song of the Wounded Heart. Laura, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you so much, Andy, for the invitation to come. Now, before we get to your story that is the foundation of the book, tell us a little bit more about you, uh, where you're located, and the type of work you do. I am located in southwest Kansas in the heart of Midwest Kansas farming, (laughs) and that's how I was raised. My dad raised farm, or on the farm he raised milo and wheat and cattle, so it was such a simple, wonderful peaceful growing up years. After that, um, my husband and I went into the ministry and we served in Kansas and Oklahoma and Nebraska. And my, my heart is for 
ministering to people, helping them to to go from just a simple faith to a deeper faith. And so a lot of what I do is speaking in churches and leading women's retreats particularly. And what I want is for people to walk away from the retreat going, I don't remember that part of the story. I think I want to go open the Bible back up and see what it says. (laughs) That's my goal at the end of each event and retreat. So that's my heart. That's what I'm doing. Southwest Kansas. I imagine that's flat, flat and a lot of, (laughs) a lot of farm fields, right? It is, it is, but it's, it has its own beauty. People either love it or hate it here, honestly, but the sunrises and sunsets are gorgeous. The stars at night are amazing. It's just a peaceful place to be, but there's not a lot of trees unless you plant them and water them. (laughs) Um, You can see for miles. And there's not a lot of rain. So we rejoice when God sends rain. Now, for our listeners, it's a pretty diverse base. I mean, uh, obviously, some of our folks are CBF, so are uh, Cooperative Baptists, but we have folks from all different uh, denominational backgrounds. For you, what what's your background denominationally and theologically um, that's kind of prepared you for where you are today? The church I grew up in was American Baptist. The churches that we served in were Southern Baptist. So the heart of, of my, my doctrine is spreading the word of God. I think that's what Baptists are the best at, is challenging people to have faith. On our good days, I mean, we're we're good at a lot of other things. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we're good well, at divisiveness lo- and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I love about the ministry I do is it crosses all denominations. I've gotten to be in so many different places, and I love that. And each denomination is better at a different slice of, of faith. That's just the truth. I think that. When the Bible talks about the body of Christ, you know, the arms and the feet and the hands and all of that in First Corinthians, I always grew up thinking that had to do with the gifts that were needed in each individual church body. But in the ministries God has given me now, I have such a bigger picture of that, that each one of us, each body of Christ is better at one piece and we need each other across across within our denomination and across outside our denominations. Well, context uh, matters, not just um, obviously uh, denominationally and theologically, but also context matters for where we are and where we've came from. So it's always fascinating for me. I would definitely say you're probably the first person I've had on the podcast from Southwest Kansas. So how do you think that particular <laughs> context has kind of prepared you for uh, your perspective of God and your perspective of the world and, and maybe even some of the ministry that you do? Oh, wow. That's such a great question that I've never been asked before. Um, I, for me, this is where my roots go deep. And because life on the farm, I I knew hard work. I knew peacefulness and i my parents both loved the lord loved each other and loved the word of god and that has been my foundation even when everything about my world changed and i lost everything that i knew and all the dreams that i had planned for and made that's what held me firm was those roots in the word of god and peacefulness that my parents taught me here in the prairie. (laughs) Well, you've got um, a book that really tells your story, a song of a wounded heart, regaining hope and trust after personal tragedy. Um, This book um, is a story of unimaginable loss of your two children and your husband in a car accident. Um, And you wrote, someone came to my feet and leaned into the van 
and the voice heavy with emotion, he said to me, this is going to be hard. You're going to have to be strong. It was the hospital chaplain. Um, let's start right there. Um, where did you find the strength to write such a catastrophic story to share with others? Mm. Andy, I don't know if God's ever asked you to do something that seemed absolutely beyond your capabilities. Just would be too hard. That's what this book was for me. I, I knew, well, if I back up, it was very difficult when he started telling me, when God started telling me, I want you to share what I have done through your trauma with other people. I didn't want to do that either. And when I started doing that, I found that there's so many people with wounded hearts and as I shared what God has done with and through me, it gave them hope to start believing that God could do some of those things in their story too. And it gave them courage to start telling the things that God had done in the midst of their pain. And then I got, I got comfortable with that. I think I would say in sharing the story with people and then God began to tell me he wanted me to write it down. And that was so much harder. It it was harder because I knew I needed to go back there and uncover all the emotions and all the things that how God intervened. And I knew that when I wrote it down, I would no longer be in control of who read it. I would no longer be able to see the responses in people's faces, no longer be able to interact with everybody who heard or read the story. It, I was letting the story go, so to speak, and letting God use it however it wanted to. And that was so hard. <sighs> Well, even just listening to you talk about coming to the terms of of writing this book, it's there, there's such a gambit of emotions that come with grief, and it's so often unpredictable. Um, one particular journal entry from the book that that stood out to me: you wrote, "Sometimes I'm overcome by sorrow. Sometimes I'm restless. Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm at peace." Uh, what did you understand and what have you begun to understand about grief coming out of this, this living hell that you have experienced? Grief is like, well, the best illustration that I had of it to make it make sense to me. I was standing at the edge of the ocean. I'd gone on a mission trip to Brazil just the following summer after the accident, it's a place where my husband and I had gone before with people that we knew. And it was a precious friend standing beside me, standing on the ocean. And I was looking out over it, lost in the memory of the past, missing my husband, not standing there with me. And the water was just lapping at our feet. And my friend looked at me and she said, grief is like this ocean. Sometimes it's gentle and it just laps at your feet and you're talking about good times from the past. And sometimes it comes in like a tidal wave and knocks you off your feet and sweeps you out to sea and you don't know if you can survive it. And oh my goodness, that's exactly right. Sometimes grief just overcomes me and still does those times are further apart now and i think that's one of the things that everybody needs to know both those that are going through grief and those who are trying to help others to go through grief it doesn't ever go away you just learn how to live through it another thing that somebody said to me um, 
boy, I can't remember exactly where this was. Maybe the anniversary of the accident, year one or two. And I, I was feeling the undercurrent of that grief coming on as we came up to the anniversary of the accident. And it felt like I was going to get sucked in and not ever be able to come back up again. And this person said, it's okay to go down into that tunnel of grief because you've gone down into it before and you know you can come up on the other side, remember? So go ahead and go down into it. God will be there on the other end and you'll come back up. And that that helped me so much because it's so frightening when that grief overtakes you. And you truly don't think you're going to survive it, but you will. And honestly, sometimes you don't even want to survive it, but you will. Knowing that God's presence is there and he won't let you drown is the only place to find strength. I guess, can can we prepare for grief and if we can you know what can you tell others about equipping themselves for grief hmm i think that the best way to prepare if you will you cannot prepare for things that are unknown and grief generally comes from something you don't expect or or maybe not always cuz Sometimes a person is sick for a long period of time. You know grief is coming. And yet you probably didn't know the sickness was coming in the first place. So all of it, grief is not getting to have the dreams and joys that you planned for. So you can't, you can't live your life in fear of what is about to be taken away from me. You can't do that kind of preparation. But what you can do is build your relationship with your Lord. Because the more time that you spend with him expressing all of your emotions from day-to-day things, things that aggravate you, things that bring you joy, things that you don't know how to do, the more you learn how to communicate with God. I don't know if I want to use the word easier. The easier, maybe, it will give you that foundation to stand on when something comes along that you know you can't do. People your trust in God will be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People say, and you, you had kind of indicated this earlier and some of the things that people say, said to you during the process. And it sounded like some people said some pretty profound things, but Sometimes people say a lot of things when they're in the midst of tragedy and oftentimes people say some of the most, um, well, idiotic things when you are facing unimaginable <laughs> circumstances. So w- what were some of the most remarkably unhelpful things people said in the midst of tragedy and maybe in turn, uh, how might you encourage others um, on what they can do to care for others who are experiencing tragedy? I think one of the damaging things that we can do is try to convince people that they're strong enough to do it because they're not and they know they're not. So one of the things that that I heard was God must have thought you were strong enough to do this because God never gives you more than you can handle, right? Well, I knew this was way more than I could handle. I knew I wasn't strong enough. So that was, it didn't even make sense. It, and it wasn't helpful at all. Is we really, we really want to believe that we're tough enough, you know, and we're not. We're not tough enough for the majority of things that happen in our lives. But our God is. And I finally got to where I would say back to them, God never gives me more than God can handle. Because that's really the, the thing. And I, 
I didn't understand why people would describe me as strong until my mom helped me figure this one out. She said, it's just that they see God's strength in you. And then it started making sense to me. Like, you're looking at me and you're seeing me do things that seem like they would be beyond our capabilities after experiencing such dramatic loss. And you're right. You're seeing me do things that are beyond my capabilities. That's because God is the one doing it. The best illustration I have for that is if I was standing in front of you and I had a clear glass and it was full of huge diamonds, biggest ones you've ever seen before in your life, and I held them up to you, Andy, and you looked at that and what would you say? Would you say, oh, what a beautiful glass jar? Or would you say, oh, what beautiful diamond? I would say that's an expensive whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because yeah. you would be focused on what's on the inside, right? right. And when, when, we are, when we are children of God and we allow him to change who we are, then his character shows up in us because the Holy Spirit is a part of our lives. So his character shows up in us. And those are the diamonds. And those are the things people see and notice and comment on. But the fact is, those diamonds are not us. They are God. We are just a jar. So you could even say your only job is to keep the jar clean. But honestly, we can't even do that. We go to the Lord to ask for forgiveness of our sins, and that keeps our jar clean, right? We can't, even, we can't forgive our own sins. We can't live a perfect life. So it's God who cleans the jar and God who puts his character in us. It is God that people see. Make sense? We can't take the credit. Yeah, it does. I just, um, you know, as a person who's experienced uh, personal tragedy, um, I think some of that, uh, that experience, you can begin to help others understand what's helpful when others are experiencing tragedy and what's not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we often so you think want that, to teach them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we often want to fill the void of silence with words. Um, <laughs> I feel like we have to take some sort of action when others are experiencing tragedy. So I wonder if you might share some of the more helpful things that people did for you um, verbally, physically, communally, uh, spiritually that helped you wade through the waters of grief? Praying with me, praying for me, allowing me to express the emotions that were within me. Those things were vital. They took care of tangible things too, like there was somebody who always checked on my truck and make sure it was running. There were people that came by and checked on stuff around my house, you know, whether I had an electrical problem or a plumbing problem. I had this list on my refrigerator that said, if this goes wrong, call this person. <laughs> you know, the church had put together that list um, to help me with physical things. People invited me to go with them, but they also gave me permission to say no. It's confusing, I think, when you're going through grief, because usually when you want to be with somebody and then you find somebody to spend some time with, then you want to be by yourself. And when you're by yourself, you want to be with somebody. So it may be really confusing to the person who's trying to help them to say, well, last time they wanted to, and this time they don't. Yeah, that's probably right. And they don't know what they want or need either because nothing fixes the pain. I think that's what we want to do. And it's because of our deep love for them. We want to be able to shoulder some of that pain, carry it for them for a while, and we can't. But it matters to say that 
like I wish I could carry this for you. I, I wish I could lift it off of you for a little while. Just knowing, just knowing somebody cares really matters. Another thing that people said to me that didn't really help was God must have some big reason that he left you here. That, although that is truth that each of our lives have reasons to live, God has plans for us. In all honesty, it made me mad because I like the plan that he had already given me and the calling he'd already given me. And then it seems that he took it all away. And so I found myself going, well, he better have a big plan if this is what he's making me do. You know, it just, ah, it made me so angry. So sometimes we say things that are true, but it's just too soon to say them. And we're, we're trying to make sense of it all, you know? I think that it's okay to ask those questions out loud and to let the person who's grieving ask those questions out loud and not try to fix it, not try to fix their faith. Just live your own faith out loud. Speak everything that God places in your head to speak. And if you don't know what to say, don't. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. You wrote, sometimes I actually miss those first months after the accident probably sounds crazy, but the intensity of my interaction with God during that time of solid, solidified my faith. Certainly many days I wandered lost and confused, but other times he, his crystal clear voice shattered my doubt. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper here. Hmm. When God spoke during those days, I could hear him, not audibly, but his voice in my mind was so clear. Like when he told me where to live after the accident, it was clear. He took that, took a verse straight out of scripture and he spoke over it like, this is what I want you to do. And I needed those words so desperately. I I had no idea what to do, and I didn't want to do the wrong thing. And I wasn't really capable of making reasonable decisions by myself, and God stepped in. But then there would be periods of time when I, I because I couldn't think very clearly, I couldn't figure out basic tasks, and and I would feel so lost and alone and then a day would come and I'd hear that voice again and each time I heard it I would write it down I wasn't a very consistent journaler and then that wasn't who I was before the accident I just knew how important it was to write it down for myself so I could figure it out and oh my goodness those were stakes in the ground you know when I heard from God I wrote it down I wrestled with it and when I would feel lost I would go back to that last stake 
in the ground. One of the more remarkable um, aspects of your story, but also conveyed in the book, is the process of contemplating um, the person who caused the accident. And not many people would want to look into the eyes of the person who caused such an irreparable damage to your life. Um, yet you felt the Spirit of God nudging you to find him. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper into that aspect of your story. I know that the reason why my heart was okay to do that was because when they took me out of the van and took me to the first little hospital that was nearby, and there's where they did the preliminary x-rays and um, waited actually for the ambulance to come back to that little hospital because they had two ambulances, but only one could leave town at a time. So one took my daughter to a trauma center about 45 minutes away to try to save her life. I was stable. So I waited. That ambulance came back to get me and the driver of the other vehicle. So we were both in the same ER, which is the curtain between us. And I didn't know that at first when I arrived. And I didn't, when I arrived at the hospital, what had happened. I just knew we'd been in an accident as I was asleep at the time of the impact. So I didn't know the cause. So when the chaplain came to the foot of my bed and told me that my husband and my son didn't survive and that they did not think my daughter would live through the night, I was still laying on the backboard trying to absorb what he just said, just in silent terror when the chaplain went to the other side of the curtain and repeated that same story to somebody else, but from a different perspective. And then I heard that man's voice wail in grief cry out to God, why didn't I die? Why not me instead of them? And, I, and that's when I knew that I didn't know what had happened yet, but I knew that he felt responsible. And just listening to the terror of his soul is what made it possible to go find him. It's what kept me from focusing my anger on him because I knew how I felt about it before I even absorbed the fact for myself. So several months later, when I had the opportunity, I was coming back through that same road in that same town and, and God just nudged me to go and find him. I always knew where to find him because you you have each other's insurance information. You know who each other are. And, of course, eventually I learned that it was just an ice-related accident. So it truly was accidental. It wasn't that he was impaired in any way and wasn't attempting to hurt anybody. So on that day, I was so scared. I was so scared, but I knew I wanted to see him. I, I wanted to look in his eyes and I wanted somehow to lift some of that pain from his heart. And but I had no idea what I was going to say. So I pulled into a parking lot and I got out the paperwork and I called his phone number and his wife answered the phone. And I, I I just took this deep breath. She said, hello. And I just went, hi, this is Laura Jones. Well, that was enough for her to know exactly who I was. And she took a deep breath, also audible. And she said, hi. And, and I said, I, I really would like to come and see you guys, if that would be okay. 
And she said she would ask her husband and call me back. So I sat in that parking lot waiting for that phone to ring. Like, like I was sitting on a time bomb and finally it rang and she said I could come. And I drove, followed her instructions and got to their home. And I still, when I put pulled up in front of their house, I still didn't know what I was going to say. And I, I felt like my legs were just moving and I was floating somehow. And he opened the front door and he leaned against the screen door and he watched me walk up the sidewalk. I think just as unable to speak as I was. And when I got close to him, he just, he just opened his arms. And I've thought so many times how risky that was for him because he didn't, he didn't know why I came. And I just fell in his arms and we just wept together. And it was so, so cleansing for both of us. And I, we talked for several hours that day and just allowed ourselves the freedom to speak what was on our hearts. And, and I just, I just said, I don't hold you responsible for this accident. I know it was an accident. I know the eyes of the law are responsible, but I know that it just happened. And I just want to take some of that off of you. And eventually in the years to come, we have had lots of conversations. And the bottom line is, I want him to live. I, I want him to live well, with joy, with hope, with the same faith in God that I have. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if you might share what aspects of your understanding of God changed as a result of this tragedy. think that I have learned dependence. Before this, I really thought I could do anything if if God just told me what to do, I would give it everything I had and I would do what he told me to do. And I thought I could do it. And now I still, if you'll tell me what to do, I'll give it everything I have. But now I know that I don't have enough, but he does. I've learned so much better at how to be dependent instead of self-reliant. I love to watch him work. I love to watch a light bulb come on in somebody's eyes thrive on that. <laughs> this book obviously um, is a narrative of, of what you've experienced, but I wonder how you see this being a resource for local churches and ministers. Two ways, I think. I've, I've heard a lot of people say, you gave me the words to express how I was feeling that I haven't been able to explain to somebody else. So there's value in it from that point of view that as you read it, like if you're the helper and you read it, considering one of your friends who's gone through a traumatic event, then it, I think it will help you have better questions to ask. Like, do you feel this way or, you know, like that to open the door conversation with them or you can give them the book and then go through it together. Like, tell me which part fits how you felt and which part doesn't because everybody's different, but it would be a great conversation starter. And the other way 
is that I've purposefully woven into it stories of characters from the Bible that came to life for me so that when you take your own story to the Bible and read a character in the Bible and you recognize within them what happened to them and how God interacted with them, really the same way that I'm telling you you can interact with my book, you can interact with the Bible the same way. And what I want it to do is teach people how to do that. I want it to help them have thirst to get to know the characters of the scriptures, to know that they're real life people who went through all kinds of trauma and all kinds of sin and all kinds of frustrations with their God. And some of them did it well and some of them didn't. And you can watch how God interacted with both situations and learn so much about our God. So you can use it as a tool in that manner, too. You could take those chapters and make them into Bible studies. You can, and hopefully it's just a jumping off point for the rest of the scripture. Outside of the book, how are you using your story to impact the lives of others? Well, the story gives me the opportunity to speak into people's lives. So no matter where I'm at, even if it's just sitting on an airplane and you've got a few minutes with the person beside you and you start to chat um, and they pretty much all questions lead to my stories. You know, what do you do for a living? Or are you married? Do you have children? All of those things lead to the story and give opportunity to speak. When people invite me to come to their church or to a women's retreat and speak, again, the story makes people stop and ask the question, how did you survive? And again, that's wide open opportunity to speak into somebody's faith life, into their faith journey. To help them believe that God can take them through anything. And you can come through the other side still alive, not just living dead. And the basis of all of that is faith in a God who cares. I guess finally as a way to honor your children and your husband who have tragically gone before you. I wonder if you might tell us how their story is living within you right now. I think that everything I do, I, I think about them. I think about how they live their lives and And I see them as part of my great cloud of witnesses that's cheering me on. They see the end of the story that I'm still living out. They know the impact that their lives have had on eternity. And they know more about the impact that my life is having on eternity than I do. Each one of them, my son, my daughter, my husband, they each have their own faith story. They came to Christ in different ways. And I I love sharing about them. My son made a profession of faith as a little boy. But as time went on, he continued to wrestle with whether God was there or not. But at the same time, he would often speak of heaven, kind of like an older, an older adult does, like a longing for it. And as I've reflected on it since then, my best interpretation of what was happening within that little boy, because he died at 11, was he seemed to know that his life was going to be short 
And with that came a longing for heaven, but also with that came a wrestling with God. And so in April, I think it was April, he um, at a revival service, he, he asked to be baptized again. And I think that we just recognize that as the, the beginning of a new faith. But I think in my heart that that was a acceptance of whatever it was that God was telling him. Because after that, he began speaking to his friends about dying. He, he told his Sunday school teacher that he knew he wouldn't live to be an adult. And the Sunday school teacher didn't tell me that until after the accident. Because of course, he didn't know what to do with it. And he told another one of the youth. He, in fact, he had an argument with them about six days before the accident. He had an argument with this older youth. I'm going to get to heaven before you do. <laughs> Almost like it was a taunt somehow. And, and again, the older youth had no idea what to do with it. Like there's just this punk kid that just came into the youth group and he's talking like this. I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> and he just said, okay, Jaden, you you'll get to heaven first. <laughs> But of course, all of that raised such questions in, in the hearts of those that he spoke to and in mine too, because I don't know what God told him nor how he told him, but clearly God told him that his life would be short. <laughs> I got some questions to ask him when I get there. Janessa, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she um, wanted to go into the music ministry. She um, wanted to be a recording artist. She was 14, just barely 14 when she died. She um, was very bold with her faith. She um, impacted her friends, telling them how they should live their life. She was, they would ask her opinion. She would give her opinion. <laughs> oh, she was very bold with her faith. In fact, one of the things I found in her room after the accident was a folded up little note where she'd written out her testimony and intended to take it to a friend that didn't know the Lord. The name was written on the outside of it. And so when I finally felt strong enough, I took it to that friend and let her read it and keep it and helped her continue to wrestle with what she believed about God. And um, Jay, Jay surrendered to the ministry while we were engaged. And that did not surprise me. God had already told me that ahead of time and but he wrestled I think wrestled mostly with um, what word I, I want to low self-esteem maybe is the best way I would describe it just wrestling with thinking um, he should do better be better um, but one of the things that came to my mind when I started picturing him arriving in heaven, because that's one of my favorite things to do is imagine what it was like for them, what it is like for them, and what it will be like when I get there. <laughs> Those are the things I daydream about. And, and I thought, no more doubts that, um, that God loves him, no more doubts that God had used him in powerful ways. And I've seen so many people have spoken to me about the impact that he made in their lives, speaking into their lives, his preaching, the way that he cared for people. I know he knows that now, that God is pleased. And that makes me smile. Well, if you want to stay connected with Laura, you can visit laurajones.org. You can also find her on social media. 
go out and purchase Song of a Wounded Heart wherever books are sold. Uh, Laura, as a as a father of two little girls, I can't imagine what you have experienced. And so out of the depths of my soul, I want to thank you for your strength to let your story give us a, a fuller understanding of grief and the faith to share with such transparency, transparency the, the spiritual process that you've gone through as a result of all of this. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. It truly is for God's glory. And there's nothing sweeter than watching him work and to know that you have a small part of it. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This podcast is supported by Living Earth Ceramics. Living Earth Ceramics has been on Etsy, bringing pottery to you for almost 10 years and has over 20 years of pottery experience. The focus is not only creating pieces that help bring lasting memories to your community and your life and your family through pottery, but also the support of charitable donations to organizations in need. Living Earth Ceramics created an amplifier in 2011 to help those with hearing loss, like the owner herself. Other items have included mugs, serving ware, custom plates, and orders for newlyweds and holiday memories, gallery items, and custom requests for communal pieces to religious organizations. Living Earth Ceramics Shop on Etsy offers 10% discount to orders using the coupon code CBF Conversations. That's one word, CBF Conversations, with a free shipping now available to the continental United States. Living Earth Ceramics proudly supports our message of hope and love for all people. For more information, visit Etsy.com backslash shop backslash Living Earth Ceramics. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.